Warning, the following podcast contains violent scenes that may be unsettling to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. In the cold winter of 1989, a Sabat pack who has suffered an immeasurable loss is given an ultimatum. Go to the Twin Cities of Minnesota, investigate why a deeply embedded pack has stopped reporting back, or meet their final death. This is Vampire the Masquerade, Twin Cities by Night, Sorrow, a tale of loss and regret that follows the Sabat pack known as the Nothing. Join us with Becca playing Linda, a Milkavian anti-tribute, Craig playing Jake, a pander, Jordan playing Abigail, a Ravenous anti-tribute, Monica playing Jenny, a Shimizi, and Slavic playing Charlie, a Bruja anti-tribute, and Chris as the storyteller. If you'd like to contact us, you can find us on Twitter, at twin underscore cities underscore btm or on facebook and discord as twin cities by night we hope you enjoy hello everyone and welcome back to vampire the masquerade twin cities by night sorrow this will continue on the prelude session that we were working on earlier just a quick update slavic who we all love dearly Unfortunately, cannot make it today and will not be able to make it with the rest of the story. Slavic does so much for the podcast. He currently plays in two of our different stories. He just wrapped up one story that he was storytelling and he does our Twitter and he does a ton of stuff. So it's perfectly understandable. We love you, Slavic. I just want to let you know when you hear this. So if for all of you who are wondering what happened to his Bruja character, we'll just pretend that never happened. So where we left off, our players went to this nightclub called the Absolution in New York City. And in short, for everyone who obviously listened before, a night of terror occurred. So the first thing I'm going to want all four of you players to do is roll Thanama and Alertness, please. Difficulty six. And let me know how many successes you have gotten. Abigail got two successes. I got one. Jenny got one success. Actually, I think I only got one. Okay. It looks like I only got one as well. So for those of you who got two successes, who I believe was just Abigail. Abigail, you awaken. You don't really remember how you got in the situation that you think you're in. You're kind of discombobulated right now. You feel a dull throb on the back of your head. You feel dizzy. You're trying to open up your eyes and you feel your eyes are unfocused. The first thing that hits you is you can smell very acidic smell in your nose. It's that smell of smoke that almost seems to embed itself in your nostrils whenever you're at a campfire or whenever you are by a fireplace. It's that smell that seems to linger, that seems to seep into your clothes. Or the times when you've been around smokers, when you weren't smoking cigarettes yourself, you can smell it, but it smells close and it smells fresh. You can also hear a dull throb of noise. That sounds like multiple people talking, but it's like a a sea of murmurs. You're trying to use your consciousness to pick out what's being said, but it's hard for you to because it sounds just like this waves of voices that are cascading upon you from all these different directions. You try to move your mouth because you feel your throat's dry and you can't because you realize that something is in your mouth. It tastes like dust and oil and dirt and cloth. And you're trying to like move your tongue and spit it out or lift your tongue up. And you find that your tongue is on the bottom of your mouth and you can't move it because of this cloth that is shoved into it. You open your eyes and you're trying to see what is in front of you, but you can't really make out anything at this moment. You just see cold concrete 
looks like a floor. You can only see from your bottom eye, the side of your face that your cheek is on the ground because your other eye is swollen shut. You try to open it and you feel like you can't open it. And you feel the cold of the concrete on your face. It's almost soothing because your face aches right now. And then before you realize it, you are pulled up roughly from behind you. And you can't quite tell what exactly is pulling you up. You just feel this incredible pressure on your shoulders. It feels like your shoulders are going to pop out. And you realize that you're placed on your knees and you try to move your arms and your legs and your arms and your legs are falling asleep. You feel that tingly sensation as blood is trying to rush from them. And you realize that you're wrists are tied together as are your ankles and those two are also tied together so you're almost hog tied right now but you're on your knees and your head is trying to look around and you're looking around and you see before you this large brick wall that seems to ride up and you try to look up this brick wall and see how high it goes and you start realizing that you are in what may be an abandoned building because when you look up you can see the night sky and you can see stars out there, but you can see looks like what used to be floors that were on the second and third floor, but have since fallen to decay or have been broken down either through man's action or through nature's action. And you look to your left and you look to your right and you see that there's other forms that are almost like in a horseshoe that are hogtied like you are, but are laying on their sides. You look to your left and you see that bartender who you got to drink from And you see that he's still unconscious. You see that he still has that vest on that he had before with the black jeans. And you see like his chest rising and falling. And you see beyond him, this Asian lady looks thin, emasculated, looks unhealthy and malnourished. And you can't really make out her face because her hair is mopped over it it as she is laying on the side like you just were. And you look to your right and you see this blonde who has like hair spray in her hair to make it look curly and you see that she is on her side and she's dressed like the other people there what is going on in your head right now as you start having these realizations i'm terrified i'm breathing very fast just pure panic completely in shock the rest of you slowly start opening your eyes but it's more like you're realizing you're waking up as you are getting yanked up and you start feeling there's pressure on your shoulders and you start feeling the sharpness of the cement on your knees, especially you, Linda, who doesn't have jeans on right now. You can feel your knees banging against the concrete as you're brought up and it brings a sharp pain as the others, Jenny, as you waken, as you're being brought up, you still feel these, the remnant of cocaine that is going through your system right now. Cause as soon as you're brought up, your eyes start beating all over the place and you start realizing everything that is going on around you. And the same with you, Jake. As you are brought up, you all have gags that are in your mouth. You all are tied the same way. You see that floor is littered with trash and there's dust and dirt. It looks like that this place may have been used by the homeless to sleep. But you also notice along this brick wall that is in front of you, you see large silhouettes of your body as shadows are brought upon it. And you can only confirm that it is this large source of light that is behind you. You don't know how close it is behind you, but you know that you're definitely smelling the smell of dried wood that is burning behind you. And it's making the back of your neck sweat. It's bringing forth this massive amount of heat. But when you see the shadows of you and your companions as you are on your knees, you also see these multitude of shadows that are behind you. And you see them milling about. You see they move. 
and you start realizing that there may be more people, a lot more people that are here than just you and your three companions. Eventually, you'll notice that the shadows that are on the wall in front of you no longer seem to make sense. It's almost as if at first you're trying to focus on what is going on behind you because you feel the sense of fear because someone had to bring you here. And maybe it's these figures that you hear talking or whispering or laughing or making these weird attempts at communication behind you. But then when you look forth upon this wall, you start seeing your shadow seems to be moving. And it may be that you're slightly concussed, each one of you, or maybe because of drinks you had or drugs that you took, or just the shock and the anxiety of the situation or where you're at. It may be your, your heart rate that is going up. It may be the fact that you're brought to your knees rather quickly and the blood is quickly leaving your head and you find yourself dizzy, almost about to faint. But then eventually you realize these shadows are moving into something that you can't recognize because all these shadows soon start merging and they start slowly filling this brick wall until you can no longer recognize the red, aged, decrepit New York City brick that just but a couple seconds ago it was made of. Instead, you feel the opposite of what you feel behind you. You don't feel a source of heat coming from the front. You feel a source of cold. And you swear in your subconscious or maybe in that instinctual lizard brain side of you still that you hear a noise coming from there. And it makes the hairs on your arm rise up. It makes your skin prickle. And you slowly start hearing wind coming from there. You'll see a form that is walking from that darkness. It's almost like a hallway. And you're almost drawn into it. And you're almost trying to focus to make anything out of that darkness because it's so pure and it's so against your nature of who you are. But then slowly you start seeing something move. And at first it looks like just a little trace of white, just a little bit. And then soon you see something break through the crust of that shadow and you see a figure standing there. This figure is wearing a priest outfit. And you notice that the white that you saw was the collar that was around his neck. And you look at this man, he looks to be an old man, looks to be Hispanic. And you see that his eyes are closed. And then he opens his eyes, or what you thought were going to be eyes. And instead, you see that very shadow that you saw he came from. And you hear the noise behind you of the murmuring, of the talking, of the laughing, of the sinisterness that is behind you. You hear it eventually settle down, and it is quiet. He looks pale and ashy. He has hair that is gray on the side of his head, but the top is balding. This man walks three feet closer to you, and you realize that his eyes, or his lack thereof, are scanning each and every one of you. He raises his hands to the side of him, and you hear absolute silence behind you, except for the cracking of wood, the popping of wood. You hear the fire going on behind you. You hear the distant honking of a horn that sounds like it's miles away. And this figure raises his hands and screams, The Spokane! And you hear from his voice, it sounds like his English is accented, almost as if it came from the South or came from Mexico. And he says, Know thou that, as in all things, the father overcomes the child, the mother her daughter. Only through me will you come to truth. Only through me will you come to peace. And when he says that, he looks at each one of you four. Only through me, you come awake to your power. Know thou that the right of life or death, as it was in my times, will ever be the sires over the child's. For it has been set in heaven as well as in this world. 
the way of things. Jake, with being lifted up and witnessing what you're seeing right now, can you even fathom thoughts right now or what is going on in your head? Jake is completely terrified right now. He's probably crying a little bit, figuring he's the victim of some like jumping in in a gang or something with some like a cult twist. And he doesn't see any way around this. He's pretty sure he's going to get his throat slit or thrown onto that bonfire or something. And like, he probably can't even bring himself to struggle. He's so like gripped with fear. Is he at that point where he's starting to think about what's going on in front of you? Or are you thinking about the conclusion of all this? You mentioned that you're afraid that you're going to get your throat slit and thrown into that fire. Is that like a foregone conclusion in your head now? Are you starting to think about your like seeing your life flash before your eyes? Are you starting to think about your wife and your daughter or anything to that extent? I think he's very much in the moment. Um, he's taking in all these words that this priest guy gang member is saying to him and he thinks it's like utter nonsense and he's just kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop and how can you ever prepare for this i'm not sure like if he'd even be thinking of anyone else other than himself right now because he's just that terrified what about you jenny what is going on right now as your traces of the cocaine that you did are still slightly in your body right now or the pills that you may have popped this morning and everything that you're witnessing right now are you able to think clearly rationally with what's going on jenny right now is completely wide-eyed her eyes are just full of tears she's trying to struggle against the restraints she's looking at this figure and she's thinking kind of along the same lines as jake who is this man? It's all she knows is this man is for sure here to harm them. She's big on watching the news. So every kidnapping, every disappearance, she's kind of thinking she's fallen victim to something like that. And she's looking around. She sees two other women and one man. So she's worried she may get raped and then murdered. So right now she's shaking with fear. She's sobbing and fighting against her restraints as best as she can. So is Jenny, before all the events that just occurred, was she the type of person that was highly anxious due to all the the substances that she was putting in her body? And you just mentioned like she was watching the news in the 80s in New York City, which people aren't aware. New York in the 80s had a pretty bad reputation of being a place of crime, especially in mainstream American culture at that time. Was that something that made your character pre-nightclub, pre-this evening, a nervous wreck also? She's always been a little bit on the flighty side, a little bit nervous. I mean, it doesn't help that she does the drugs that she does, but she's always the type that before her kids go to school, she's part of the neighborhood watch. She makes sure that when the kids get out of the van, you know, she watches them go into the school. So especially being a minority, she's always a little bit more hypersensitive and hyper aware to the crime around them. So at first she probably would have thought this was some sort of a hate crime. But when she looks around and she sees that there's people that are white women, with her, she just thinks, like Craig, this is probably some sort of gang activity, which is prevalent in New York, or just somebody who's really sick and out to murder. Yeah, for sure. I mean, how can anyone wrap their head around what is going on right now before them, other than then in the most simplistic terms that they are, the, the framing that they have framed their existence in previously to all this? Linda, with you being more emotionally intelligent, probably, than a lot of these people so far that we've talked to, with you being a counselor and everything like that. Are you able to try compartmentalizing what's going on right now? Or are you finding yourself also caught up in this fear or what is quite going on in your head right now? So with Linda specifically, she's in shock. Everything's moving slow, a little bit slower. She's catching weird details. 
It probably doesn't help that her glasses have been lost at some point during this process. And so everything's just a little bit fuzzy for her. She can't quite make out all the same details. So that almost acts like a help or a barrier with that. And in a way, she actually knows that she's in shock, but doesn't really want to try to combat that and is willing to just let the situation play out. And she starts to focus when the priest starts to talk. He's talking about the parents and their children and Becca knowing what he probably means. She doesn't comprehend. She's like, why would the father, I'm sorry, I forgot the specific terms that you used. It says, know thou that as in all things, the father overcomes the child as the mother, her daughter. When it talks about know thou the right of life or death as it was in my times will ever be the sires over the child. So it's this weird yeah, like you said, I love that you said that you're in shock, but you're openly embracing that shock because it's helping you have a slower mind and kind of rationalize what's going on. You catch a lot of weird religious and you end up, matter of fact, I'm going to have you roll roll if you don't mind, Linda. I'm going to have you roll me uh, perception and occult difficulty six, please. All right. So remind me with this version of Vampire, if I don't have a cult, I take one die from the pool. Uh, you can't roll if you don't have a cult. Oh, okay. but, but I'll let you. Do you have academics? I do. Okay. Let's do a perception of academics, but I'll just bump the difficulty to seven. Okay. Okay. Hot diggity dog. Four successes. Wow. Okay. So y- your mind has slowed down. Your eyes traverse real quickly the people to your left. And you're seeing like Jenny trying to get out. You see this look and tears coming down Jake's face. You see Abigail looking shocked and scared, but you're really finding that you're not feeling these emotions right now. There's a moment you look at them, you compartmentalize it. You look forward and you hear this man speaking to you. And it brings you back to when you were a kid and you would have to go to church. Were your family, the church going type when you were a kid? Yes. Were they Christian? Were they Jew- Jewish? Or were, what religion would you would you say they were? And if they were Christian, what denomination were they? That's a good question. I was thinking, especially going forward, how she would interact with Catholicism. So I do like the idea that she grew up in the Catholic Church. Okay. And that makes sense. Because in this situation, while you're on your knees and you're watching this man speak and you see that he has the priest garments on, even though whenever mass was given, usually it put the robes over their garments. But there's a lot of times you saw that priest would walk around with the black suit and the white collar on and you see him speaking and this old behavior, this old training in your head clicks and you learn like, I'm going to listen to what he is saying before me. And you realize as he's speaking for a second, the little child in your mind starts feeling like he is preaching from a Judeo-Christian background. You, you realize the tempo. You realize the cadence in which he speaks, especially the line where he says, for it has been set in heaven. When he says that, it just rings in your head because it brings back all these memories of you sitting there, sometimes bored, sometimes with your hand, your little hand in your mother's hand while your dad sat on the other side of you and just looking up at this priest speaking. And you're starting to realize, wait, this isn't some madness coming from his mouth. This is like grounded in in, in some kind of reality, the same reality that your church was founded in. You saw Pope John 
who's the Pope at this time, on TV, and you see these masses come to Rome to see him, especially on Easter or on all these different holidays and how he would speak to them. You almost feel that when this man speaks to you. Does that make sense there? Yeah, that there's a history behind this and that um, there's a presence more than just what I'm seeing right in front of me. Especially with the quiet you hear behind you. Because you know there's people behind you. You can't look behind you, but you know that there's people behind you. And how it's completely silent now. They're all entrapped in this man's word. I think with with all that kind of happening, it's, yeah, like you, you mentioned, just that focus and calm surrealism. I love that. I was like, man, I'm going to ask them all how they feel. And they're all going to be like, we're fucking scared, asshole. What do you think? You know what I mean? But like hearing these, each of these individual answers, you know what I mean? That are coming from with these different perspectives is why I love asking characters what they're feeling. Cause that brings out this whole other layer to the story, which is awesome. So Abigail, you said earlier that you were scared, obviously for what's going on now with these actions happening and this man speaking and seeing that there's others, because you, like you said, you were the first one who were awoken at this moment. Has that changed at all what you're feeling? Has it added any more complexity to it? Or is it you still feeling the same how you felt before? She's definitely still super duper scared, possibly also crying a little, thinking all the thoughts that have been mentioned before, but finding some sort of kinship in that she's not alone in this. Because she was the first, she saw the others being raised to their knees, made eye contact, or at least tried to it's helped her calm down a little bit, coming down of that shock. She doesn't understand what this man is talking about. She wasn't raised religiously, and that's terrifying her. She just doesn't understand the situation, doesn't understand where she is, is in a city that she doesn't know. And heard all these stories about people saying, like, it's stupid to go to New York, don't go there. And now she's here. She is completely terrified. It makes you wonder if in the root, the very beginning of that line of consciousness where people are like, don't go to the big city, that line that you hear from people all the time, if at that very seed that root sprung from, if that's what set that off, was that there are things that you cannot explain that are there. There are things that live amongst humanity, not just vampires or canines, but there are things that your mind can't wrap around that hide in the shadows of these alleyways or that there are so many doors there that a man first decided to come together and to become civilized and that they found something together or something was drawn to them like they were a herd. And those who stayed in the caves or stayed in the huts who used fire to protect themselves from the darkness instinctually knew, stay away from there. You're a bigger target. You become a herd. And in a way, maybe you should have listened to your friends, Abigail, because now you see that you're in this situation. I don't mean to victim blame. I'm not trying to do that. But, you know, it's a very big realization where you're like, fuck, I should have listened to my mom. I should listen to my friends. Anyone in life who's found themselves in any kind of dangerous situation or, or a bad situation, think back to the people who warned you, who told me I shouldn't have dated this asshole, or I shouldn't have fucked done this, or I shouldn't have done that. It's this weird, slow realization. But unfortunately, just how we are built as humans in our DNA, that's how we learn. Sometimes we learn the hard way. The lesson is still being learned by Abigail at this point. Uh, So the old man walks even closer to you all to where he's a foot away from you all, but he's not looking at you all. He's looking behind and you look up at him and you see there's this intensity, but you still can't see his eyes. You see where his eyes should be and they're hollow. Like their eyes were taken out at some point. They're these empty sockets where darkness resides. And he walks up in front of Jake And you see he's looking angrily like at people behind you, Jake. And he gently puts his hand on your shoulder. 
and he screams to whomever is behind you all. And he says, there's more to being the sword of Cain than fighting against the slaves of the antediluvians. And you feel his hand firmly grasp your shoulder. And he looks down at you and you see his mouth goes from fierceness to conveying sympathy and his eye sockets that are empty that have little laps of flesh where his eyelids were almost seem to crease to show sympathy. And he turns to his left and he walks towards Jenny. And you can kind of look and you can kind of turn and see the figure of Jenny there. Her arms are moving, you know, like she's not sitting here compliant. And he puts his hand on her shoulder and he looks behind her. And you can't quite see, you know, what is behind you all at this point. And he screams again, you wallow in your vices and you lose yourself and the cause and the pursuit of power. And he looks down at you, Jenny, and he sees you squirming in danger. And you see a smile crack his face and he turns and he walks in front of Abigail And he looks down at you, Abigail, and he sees that weird processing that's going on behind your eyes right now. No emotion showing his face. He's just looking down at you. His lips are thin and old. And you see his face looks weathered. You see his face looks like almost someone who spent a lifetime at work or almost like someone who spent a lifetime on a boat or maybe someone in a harsh conditions. And he looks behind you and he says, you forget your brethren lose themselves. The children drink from the spoiled milk, the infernal beast that taints from the infested bowels of the corrupted. And he turns and he walks away from Abigail and he's walking and he stands in front of Linda. And there's a moment where he looks down at you, Linda, and he sees you just like listening. He sees the shock and you see his head tilts a little bit. I mean, I'm not saying he's thinking this, but almost like, Look at this shit. You know, like he's looking down at you and you see he's like almost like confused for a second. And you see he doesn't even put his hand on his shoulder, but he almost nods like approvingly to you. And he looks past you to the back and he says, but two have proven themselves as soldiers of the fight and they will be rewarded. And then you hear murmuring again and you see this figure turns his back to you all and his hands go back out to his sides And you hear him look up to the sky and you hear him scream, pay reverence to La Novia. And you see from the shadows, this figure walking forward and you see she's wearing this nun's outfit and you can't quite make out her face. You just see it's pale as she's coming forward. For those of you who don't know what La Novia means, La Novia means the bride in Spanish. And so you see that this figure comes walking forward you hear murmuring in the background and you hear a chant start coming from behind you. And at first it's gentle. It's la novia, la novia, la novia, la novia. And it almost goes into like cadence. And you see this figure is just seems to be gliding almost across the floor. You can't really see her feet walking because of this nun's outfit that drapes over her feet. And you see the flames almost seem to get brighter around as she's just standing there in front of the priest and you see the priest goes on one knee and he bows his head in front of her and then he gets up and he goes and he kisses her on each cheek and you all three can hear him say something in spanish to her do any of you speak spanish by the way i think abigail does abigail you can hear him whisper to you and he goes my sister i have loved you and i love you always they are ready for you 
and you see him like go walk slowly behind and then he goes and he turns and like his back's against where the wall was which is still shadow and you see him just patiently looking with his hands behind his back you see her lift up her arms and she motions forward with each arm and you can hear behind you these chants murmuring a latinovia latinovia but you can hear especially behind you and jenny and abigail you can hear like almost like the voices kind of move a little bit and you feel on your left jenny you feel like a person brush against your shoulder and on your right abigail you feel a person brush against your shoulder like someone's like walking past you as you guys are kneeled and all four of you see the back of these figures and one is the woman the younger teenage 17 year old looking girl the one that you gave a drink to jake or the one jenny who when you were doing bumps of cocaine that you saw who walked up to you and you see her back walking up to la novia and you see her take a knee in front of her and you see the man that you lost the flirting contest with abigail the same man linda who was with your friend making out in the booth and who invited you to join them you see him walk but this time he doesn't have his jacket on he just has his black jeans on as he walks forward he still has that black rosary that's on his chest and you see him take a knee before her you see the female grab a side of the nun's robe the one that they are identifying her as la novia and you see the male take the other one and you see them pull each of the robes aside and the flames from this unknown source illuminate this body it takes a moment to realize that it doesn't look like what you would expect you see the color of flesh but you don't see like breasts or you don't see a navel or you don't see anything like that. It takes a moment for your eyes to rationalize what you are seeing. It looks like wax that is almost melted. It looks like scar tissue that is almost all completely over her chest. And then you see, it almost looks like as if her chest is taking like breasts, but it's moving like deep breasts. And soon you will see where you would almost assume pectorials would be, you see two eyes open on that chest. And you see that where her abdominal would be, you see a smile, a broken smile of jagged teeth. And from her shoulders, you see slowly comes out two horns. And you'll see she'll raise her face to the sky as this mouth is moving. And you hear this guttural laugh that seems to come from where that mouth on her upper torso is. And this inhuman scream comes from her as she's screaming into the night sky. And the old man will raise his hands and you'll see shadows start moving again behind you as this screaming is going on, as these two figures are standing next to her with the robes. And you'll see the man beckon people who are behind you as you feel this fear cascade upon you. If you're enjoying Vampire the Masquerade, Twin Cities by Night Sorrow, and are looking for more Sabbat stories, you can check out our Vampire the Masquerade story Wars on Fire, which tells the tale of the Pale Riders Pack and takes place on the border of Texas and Mexico. We hope you enjoy. <laughs>